Hello and welcome to the Security DNA podcast produced by SecurityInfoWatch.com. I'm John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch and the producer of this podcast. The editors here at Security InfoWatch utilize this podcast to provide detailed, actionable information of value to security professionals. This includes industry news, trends and analysis, technology solutions, policy risk analysis, and management. For this episode, I have with me my colleague, Steve Lasky, who's the editorial director for the security group at Endeavor Business Media. Steve will be talking today with Mark Friedman. Mark is a strategy consultant and CEO and founder of Rebel Global Security. He is a former national security official who has spent his career advising senior government and corporate leaders on global threats. Mark is a trusted advisor to Fortune 500 and multinational companies and has worked with virtually every national security agency, including the Department of Defense, FBI, and the Intel community. For almost a decade, Mark was a strategic planner for the State Department, where he served as Chief of Staff to the Ambassador-at-Large for Counterterrorism. Mark has also worked in Big Four Strategy Consulting, helping client organizations build security programs. Before his career in consulting, Mark was an officer with the U.S. Department of State in which he held a variety of roles advising senior officials, including a chief of, as Chief of Staff to the Ambassador-at-Large for Counterterrorism. As Chief of Staff, Mark ran Bureau front office operations for an organization of more than 150 people with more than $1 billion in foreign assistance funds under management. He also managed the flow of all briefing materials to the Secretary of State and other senior U.S. government officials. In previous assignments, Mark led interagency surge teams to tighten security op- cooperation with European allies in the wake of the 2015 ISIS attacks in Paris. He developed strategic plans to contain weapons proliferation during the Arab Spring and created a first-of-its-kind multilateral forum for security information sharing. Mark received numerous awards while with the State Department, including the Superior Honor Award. Mark is a certified protection professional, certified information security manager, and a member of the ASIS Steering Committee on Enterprise Security Risk Management. Mark has also written for Security Technology Executive Magazine. And with that, let's turn the show over to Steve. Thanks, John. Uh, I'm really excited to have Mark with us today. Uh, Mark and I uh, uh, entered into a uh, relationship and a partnership a couple of years ago, and uh, when he opened up his consultancy and we have found that uh, he's a great match for us and his uh, varied and deep understanding of global and security risk issues make him a uh, valued member of our team here. So we we appreciate it. His own company, Rebel Security, was founded in August of 2022, six months after Russia invaded the Ukraine and amidst rising geopolitical tensions and global security threats. Again, his background as a former U.S. State Department counterterrorism official and a big four strategy consultant has left him worried that many businesses are extremely unprepared to protect their assets and navigate in the uncertainty of a turbulent global threat environment. So, Mark, uh, that being said, there's definitely a need for you and your team and I know you feel obligated to provide uh, services and, and consulting uh, strategies when you launched your group. So tell me what compelled you to jump into the crowded world of consulting and then 
what do you think uh, the Rebel Group and your team bring to this landscape that is unique? Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, really glad to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I started Rebel Global Security in August 2022, um, so not long after Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, that, I would say, was a major geopolitical driver for why we started the firm. Um, but it represented a, a broader issue, which is that threat levels uh, in the global security environment were increasing rapidly. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, during our conversation today. Um, but fundamentally, it's driven by uh, bad actors in the form of Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, terrorist organizations, um, employing a range of methods uh, against not just uh, the United States uh, and our allies on a governmental level, but applying those methods against private sector businesses who are increasingly targets uh, of bad actions. Uh, so we saw these increasing threat levels, and then we looked at um, the capability that private sector companies have to mitigate these types of risks. And unfortunately, uh, just found uh, a, an environment of extreme vulnerability uh, where, where private sector organizations, uh, not through much fault of their own, just are not prepared for this type of threat environment where you have either state actors or very sophisticated non-state actors uh, with political objectives and uh, with significant um, uh, um, either cyber or physical or espionage capabilities, uh, they were not prepared to to mitigate the risk that those actors bring. So that was um, that was sort of the the reason we launched the company, uh, and we continue to be uh, moving through this mission of bringing uh, insights and strategies to private sector companies so that they can compete effectively. Uh, in such a turbulent environment. Very good. You know, we 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 uh, had you do an article uh, uh, recently that uh, in Security Technology Executive, where you stated that businesses, as we just discussed here, are not positioned to mitigate risk because of their traditional security programs, uh, and that are inefficient addressing today's complex issues because we have uh, many organizations that. Uh, when they look at security, they're still sort of steeped in the corporate mindset of focusing on the three G's, as you put it, guns, gates, and guards. Uh, and their cybersecurity programs are basically only focused on the IT uh, environment, which is uh, a dangerous situation when you consider that most organizations, if they've got a physical security system, they are all network-centric. Uh, and, you know, breaking down those silos of both the physical and the cyber side uh, has got to be a main uh, objective of any enterprise security management executive strategy. So talk a little bit about that and really talk about how, you know, organizations aren't allocating enough time and resources to strategically analyze, uh, plan and coordinate uh their uh, strategic security policies. Yeah, well, you you hit the nail on the head. There is just unfortunately a very traditional approach, I think, in corporate security that in many organizations 
um, is not tested enough and there is not enough of a culture of innovation to get these organizations to a point where they are moving beyond uh, guns, gates, guards mentality on the physical side or um, just being sort of focused on IT security. And so, and and for, for many organizations, I mean, we find ourselves in an education process because I think that those, those approaches have become so standard that there are questions around, well, what do you mean? What, what exactly, um, you know, should we be doing um, different from the programs that we have in place? Um, what I would say, you know, where it starts is really a commitment to innovation of the security program. Um, so we have to find a way to look at what is going on in the world, look at the ways that threats and risks are evolving, and then figure out how to mature the security program over time to meet that. Um, and so when we look at maturing security programs, we look obviously at making sure security programs are in line with whatever the industry standards and best practices are. There are a lot from ASIS, for example. But also going beyond that and really having an understanding of the risk environment that you operate in, uh, the threats that may be targeting your organization, and how your your security program as a whole needs to evolve um, to, to keep up with that. And where we need to see action is from security leaders, whether that's a chief security officer, a chief information security officer, whoever's playing that senior security executive role within an organization, they need to be the change maker that says, okay, we are in this new world, uh, new global threat environment. Um, and what have we done in the past that isn't working anymore? How do we get out of our stovepipes? How do we reach across between physical and cyber? How do we bring in things like insider threat? How do we work closely with a range of stakeholders, whether that's human resources, legal, communications, government affairs? How are we doing that uh, work and coordination work across the entire organization to make sure that we are looking ahead of the curve um, and protecting our organization, not just from yesterday's threats, but from today's threats and tomorrow's threats? You know, you've also mentioned uh, uh, a term that you use that I, th I thought was interesting uh, that you uh, call it called the anatomy of an innovative security program. Uh, kind of building on what you just said, what does that mean and how does that work? Yeah, so when we talk about innovative security programs, we're really looking at three key factors. Um, one is we want the program to be intelligence-led. So the security program needs to have some sort of intelligence capability to be successful. And intelligence can look different for different organizations. Uh, and the most important thing to keep in mind in the private sector is that intelligence is not synonymous with secret information. Uh, or special national security information. Intelligence is just a business process. It's the way in which a company uh, figures out what information would be relevant to making decisions, in this case, security decisions, figures out how they're going to collect that information, how they're gonna analyze and process that information, and then 
provide that information to the people who need to make decisions so that they can make more informed decisions. So if you have a security program that doesn't have um, an intelligence capability and isn't making decisions based on intelligence information, uh, then you are not going to be able to keep up with this rapidly evolving environment. Um, so, you know, we talk to clients, some of whom have intelligence capabilities, some of whom don't. I will say I see more and more interest in this, and I see more and more companies setting up some sort of intelligence capability because there's a growing recognition that that is just absolutely fundamental. The days of a security program just being focused on, um, you know, fences and what happens or gets inside the perimeter without understanding what's going on outside the fence, so to speak, um, those days really are over. So that's the first part of that innovative security program, whether or not it's intelligence led. The second part is a uh, program should be management focused. And by this, we really mean that whoever is leading the security program, let's say that that's the chief security officer, they need to be taking their cues from business leaders, the C-suite, the board of directors, um, and others that are higher up in the chain. If you are operating a security program that is disconnected from the business and disconnected from the priorities of your leadership and management, uh, you're not going to have an effective program. You may not have much of a program at all because it's gonna be very difficult to demonstrate to those stakeholders uh, who control your budget that you are worth funding. Um, so a, an innovative program really needs to be management focused and tied in, seamlessly tied in to those overarching business priorities, objectives, mission, vision, core values, all of that stuff. And then finally, the third part of an innovative security program is that it is holistic. And this goes back to the point I made earlier. It has to break down stovepipes. It has to go beyond just doing our corporate security thing in our corporate security lane uh, to be an integrator across the business. I mean, security really, in many ways, I, I believe much more so than many other business functions, should be a convener. Uh, so that chief security officer or their designee should be chairing uh, regular internal working groups that bring in multiple stakeholders from across the organization to understand different types of security risks and different types of mitigation measures. And that's a key recommendation that we provide to all of our clients is what are you doing to be that convener within your organization? So again, intelligence-led, management-focused, and holistic, those are three of the key ingredients that we look for to assess whether a company has an innovative security program. Definitely sounds like a, a plan that uh, is embraceable and also uh, actionable. So, uh, you know, I know right now we're, we're sort of talking about more of the enterprise uh, organizations, and uh, we we'll you know maybe talk about some of the the, the middle tier in, in a bit here. But staying on that enterprise global approach to security. Uh, the whole landscape now is changing. I mean, there are so many dynamics in play uh, from uh, global bad actors, uh, third party uh, supply chain risk, all, all sorts of things. So, you know, when you're a security and risk executive and you're looking to calculate and assess uh, what your organization's top global and domestic threats are, obviously with uh, thing uh, issues that are coming from China, Russia, the Middle East right now, uh, terrorism, which is 
taking its form uh, in in the U and the EU and and across the U.S. Whether it's going to be domestic or a uh, foreign, uh, those are the most obvious. But how should how should these risks and threats be prioritized uh, if you're a global enterprise organization? Yeah, well, if you're, I mean, really any size of organization, but especially if you're a global enterprise organization, uh, you need some sort of threat and risk assessment process. And there's no one size fits all approach for this. Um, but what we emphasize is that you do need a strategic risk assessment process. And, and by that, I mean a program where you assess security threats and risks to your organization as a whole. I think a lot of uh, companies, when they think about security risk, especially physical security risk, they'll think about it um, on a highly localized basis. So we're gonna open a facility in this location. Um, let's figure out what the crime rates are there, um, do, the, do the facility assessment, and that's how we'll do our risk assessment. Now, that is absolutely essential. You have to do that. But if you're a large global enterprise, you really need to be thinking about what are the things about our company that may bring risk or threat to us. So what industry do we operate in? Is that a critical infrastructure industry? And is that critical infrastructure industry being targeted by foreign nation state or non-state actors? Or is it being targeted by criminals for a particular reason? Or what are the insider uh, risk rates and considerations uh, for the industry that we operate in? Uh, another thing uh, at kind of an organization-wide level is reputation. Uh, what is our company's uh, profile and reputation with regard to certain issues that may be likely to incite fervor, activism, uh, political risk, or political violence? Um, so, you know, that process of thinking, okay, how, what is our company? What is our footprint globally? What do we represent globally? Uh, and therefore, what types of risks are likely to accrue to us, um, that really does need to happen at a strategic level, because then that's going to inform your risks down at a facility level or in, you know, for cyber risks at an information system level, for example. So we do believe you need that sort of very high level strategic risk assessment process. But fundamentally, then it's back to basics. What's the threat? Um, you know, are there particular threat actors that are targeting us? And if we break that down one level, what is their intent to target us? And what is their capability to target us? Because threat is a function of those two, um, those two factors. Uh, what is our vulnerability? Uh, and that requires a review of your security program and your security mitigation measures. And what is the consequence? of something like this happening. So for anybody who's been involved in risk assessment before, that's very basic, threat, vulnerability, and consequence. The question is, are organizations really applying that at a strategic level and thinking creatively about the new types of threats that could impact them and the way in which their vulnerabilities could be exploited and the types of consequences, particularly outsized consequences with media and reputational impacts uh, that could happen as a result of those threats materializing. Very good. And, you know, if we look beyond just the obvious bad actor threats, we're, we're, we've got to consider other threats that could be significant 
even if they uh, aren't deemed traditional security risks, uh, you've always got to be cognizant of that. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of the following threats here that uh, have been identified earlier this year by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. First, uh, the report that they just put out said great powers rising regional First, great powers, rising regional powers, as well as an evolving array of non-state actors are going to be vying for dominance in the global order, as well as compete to set the emerging conditions and the rules that will shape the order for decades to come. How do you interpret that, uh, uh, given the uh, uh, just the chaos that we're seeing across the globe right now and how it eventually is is going to affect how we do business is going to affect our supply chain. Uh, it's going to affect um, cybersecurity incursions. So, uh, w- what's your assessment there? Yeah, well, so this speaks to how the global environment is changing right now. If we go back in time a little bit to the Cold War, for example, we lived in, um, you know, it, in in the international relations world, what they would call a bipolar system. Um, United States and the Soviet Union. Uh, Those were the two superpowers, great powers. Uh, With the fall of the Soviet Union and the the end of the Cold War, uh, we moved to what has sometimes been called a unipolar moment, where really the United States uh, was unchallenged uh, for global hegemony. And um, then we saw, uh, partially as a result of that, uh, the war on terror, uh, which really dominated the global environment, at least from a U.S. centric perspective, um, for about 20 years, um, for the 2000 aughts and the, the 2010s. Uh, we are now only within the last five or so years, so going back to 2018 or so, uh, moving from that environment where the United States really had unchallenged hegemony and was focused on non-state actors in the form of terrorist organizations to a world that is increasingly multipolar with the rise of China um, and a Russia that while um, few would say that it is rising as a as a, a great power, certainly has great power ambitions and is willing to lash out to try to act on those. Um, so we see this more uh, complex environment where the United States is not as powerful relative to other global players as we were for the last, say, two decades. And then on the non-state actor front, that's terrorist organizations, criminal organizations, et cetera, we're seeing increasing empowerment of those non-state actors because primarily they have access to um, technologies that were not available 20 years ago, um, whether that's uh, weapons and military technologies, uh, information technologies, social media, and increasingly emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. Um, And so that's the backdrop that we're operating in. And I think it can be challenging sometimes for corporate security folks to 
figure out, okay, well, what does that mean for me and what do I do about that? Um, but the reality is that that shift from bipolar to unipolar to now a multipolar and highly contested global environment has major implications for American businesses because American businesses are routinely being targeted by these rising powers and these other great powers. Um, they're being targeted through cyber attacks. They're being targeted through espionage. Um, they're being targeted through foreign interference. Um, and they're being targeted through something we call adversarial capital, which is, um, for example, Chinese state-run entities um, or close to state-run entities investing um, and trying to get ownership stakes um, in American and Western companies in order to advance Chinese um, foreign policy and military objectives. So the result is that this does create a whole new range of threats and risks for uh, American businesses in particular, but businesses across the Western world to be concerned about. And it requires corporate security leaders to develop a pretty significant understanding of these issues if they want to protect their organizations and function as effective trusted advisors to their C-suites and their boards. When we look at those traditional risks, uh, and understandably, that's what companies and, and, and global enterprises are going to be concentrating on, but uh, we, we've kind of reached that tipping point now, I think, where uh, the, the report talks about this second set of shared global challenges, uh, which include climate change and human and health security. Uh, and, and these are converging as as the planet as a whole emerges from, uh, you know, the, the veil of COVID-19 and the pandemic, which, you know, uh, still has, you know, uh, some residual impact. And we're confronting economic issues that are spurred by both energy and food insecurity across the globe. You know, we're seeing uh, misinformation or uh, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, skewed information about economic conditions here in the states affecting uh, political discourse, uh, which could have huge impact for the uh, for the uh, election next year. But these rapidly emerging and evolving technologies that are continuing to have potential to disrupt traditional business and, uh, and societal norms uh, with both pos positive and negative income. So we're looking at the, you know these these global uh, these global issues, these technology disruptors like AI and, and whatnot are are creating just unprecedented vulnerabilities and attack surfaces for many uh, organizations. So how how do these organizations deal with these increasingly challenging predicaments uh, and, and, and put together uh, a non-traditional approach to some of these uh, issues that are certainly going to affect them uh, in the coming years. Yeah, I would recommend that organizations write these out on paper. And some organizations obviously do this in the form of very sophisticated risk registers, um, but you don't need all the high-end bells and whistles in order to go through a simple exercise of starting to write down what are these risks that we're concerned about and how are they different from one another and then how can we categorize them? So for example, the report that you're referencing, it sort of breaks these in my mind into two categories. One is human actors in the form of um, foreign countries or organizations uh, or individuals. And then 
The other is uh, sort of environmental factors, and I'm environment with a lowercase e, um, you know, so so not just climate change, but also things like pandemics, um, you know, those sort of non-human issues um, that also can cause harm to an organization. What I think is uh, particularly interesting and requires a particular focus is the way in which these um, forces converge and then compound risk associated with each other. So for example, um, how might climate change increase the risk of certain types of uh, foreign actors lashing out uh, or launching attacks? You know, for example, will there be a scramble for resources in certain regions? And then how does that increase geopolitical risk and therefore security risk to organizations? So I think it requires that process of trying to break down these very complex issues into their constituent parts and understand how they might work together to impact the risk to your organization. So let's finish up uh, the conversation uh, today with uh, uh, expounding on or expanding on the assumption that creating and implementing a holistic approach to corporate governance and security is is critical. Uh, you've written about this uh, before, uh, and you know I'd like you to explain and 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 really kind of dive a little bit deeper uh, into the into into this. Uh, statement here that you made in this article. You said that, simply put, how a business, government, or other organization carefully plans its actions over some time to improve its position and achieve what it wants for security executives who face persistent costs of pressure in a highly structured risk environment, having a strategy and doing daily work of strategy is, is especially important. The strategy provides clarity on how money should be spent or how you ask for more, uh, how team members' time should be utilized, how the security function of an organization can be viewed as a value generator rather than a cost center. Without a strategy or with one that is not implemented, even if you have it, every decision becomes more difficult to make and every ounce of C-suite or board support harder and capital that you've built is going to be harder to extract. So I think this is probably going to be the, the most important takeaway. Explain that statement and how security and risk management should do strategy. Yeah, so strategy is incredibly important. And I think it's one of those words that um, often gets misused or misunderstood um, or overused uh, because people in organizations say, we need a strategy for this, or we need a strategy around that. And it sort of has become meaningless in some ways. Um, so what, what we try to do with our clients is really help to define what strategy is and what the process of strategy looks like, because strategy is so important in, for, for achieving your organizational objectives. So to put it in really, really simple and basic terms, we talk about um, going through a strategy process that involves one, starting with a current state assessment, that is understanding where your organization is today. And so, for example, if we're trying to build a security strategy, um, then we would be looking at 
where is your organization right now in terms of the state of your security program? What do you have in place? What are you missing? How does that compare to industry best practices? And where might there be gaps based on, again, what we see going on in the threat and risk environment? Once you have a current state assessment, you can move on to the second step, which is understanding what your target future state is. So for this, it's important to pin a date to the wall um, and say, okay, if we're in December 2023 now, um, then we want to be uh, at this place in terms of our strategy and our program by say 2026 or 2027. Um, because once you have that date and you understand what you want your program to look like uh, at that time, you're gonna understand uh, exactly what you need to do and the steps that you need to take in a time-bound way between now and then in order to achieve your objectives. And so then the third part is understanding what those goals and objectives are. Um, and here, again, these are, these are terms that are frequently misused or used inexactly. Uh, goals typically are what they are end states. They are what we want the program to look like at that time. So in 2026 or 2027, uh, we will have achieved this. The objectives are specific steps um, that you take in order to reach those goals. Um, so going through that process of putting those down on paper and mapping them out over the time frame that you have uh, is very important. And that is the process of doing strategy. And then finally, all this gets wrapped together with um, drafting. So drafting the strategy on paper um, so that it's not just in somebody's head or it's not just an abstract concept that you've discussed coordination. So that requires sharing the strategy with uh, key stakeholders across the organization. And again, this goes back to the holistic point about innovative security programs. Your strategy better not be just a strategy for the corporate security office, right? It needs to be a strategy that brings in stakeholders from a wide range uh, of business units and offices across the organization. And then finally, implementation of that strategy. So this can't be a one-time process that takes place over a couple months and then the strategy document goes into a binder and sits on the shelf. It needs to be regularly monitored and evaluated for implementation. So we work with clients very closely, sometimes having up to weekly meetings to understand where their strategy is, uh, what they need to be working on in a given uh, day, week, or month to advance that strategy, and then taking stock. How did that work? Did we achieve the objective that we needed to? Has that objective slid to the right time-wise? How does that impact our ability to reach our goals? So that is a, that's really a full-time job to make sure that that strategy is being implemented. But for organizations who choose to invest the time and resources to do it, they'll find dramatic benefit because with if you don't go through that process, it's very, very easy to just get caught by the shiny thing or uh, whatever uh, is, is being asked for from leadership that day. If you can have the discipline to go through a strategy development and then a strategy implementation process on a regular basis and really make that a major part of your workflow, 
you're going to be able to really build out your security program, uh, make it very effective, make sure that it's staying on the cutting edge of all of the global threat and risk issues that we discussed, um, and that it's providing real value across the business and to your leadership so that by the time that it comes time to go and request more budget or file your budget for the next fiscal year, everything is already in place. It becomes very, very easy to put that request in because you know exactly what you need to say. You know exactly where you're going. It's very easy to make the business case to your leadership. And Mark, I think that's the biggest takeaway here is that uh, if you're in a security leadership position in your organization, in your company, that you really need to be the person driving uh, uh, driving the, the, the bus. You've got to be the one that understands risk, who that risk is assigned to, what the implications to the business are uh, if those uh, mitigation measures fail. So I, I think it just elevates if it's played correctly. And like you said, if the strategies are in place and, 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 and used correctly, it elevates the entire function and your importance across the board. So I, I don't think you could end, end our discussion today in a, with a, a better point than that. Uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Uh, again, I want to uh, thank Mark Friedman, uh, the principal with Rebel Security, for being with us today. Uh, Mark, I'm sure we'll have you back in the future, and I also look forward to having you uh, contribute uh, to our uh, content platforms at Security Info Watch and uh, STE uh, in the coming year. So, again, appreciate you being here, and uh, we look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you, Steve. Really glad to be on. Well, Steve, I want to thank you and Mark for this fantastic conversation about assessing the global threat environment and implementing a holistic approach to corporate security. Just a reminder to our audience, this podcast is for you so you can stay informed about trends in the security industry anywhere, anytime. To access our podcast lineup, go to podbean.com and search for Security DNA. You can also find our podcasts in our Security Frontline, Integrator Newswire, and Security Week e-newsletters. Of course, we'd love to get some feedback from you, our listeners, about topics you're interested in. If you have a suggestion, send an email to Steve Lasky, S-L-A-S-K-Y, at securityinfowatch.com. This episode of the Security DNA Podcast was recorded and produced by John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch. For Steve Lasky, Mark Friedman, and everyone here at Security InfoWatch, thanks for listening and stay safe out there wherever you may be.